the Water Values Podcast is sponsored by the following market-leading companies and organizations. Intera, Geoscience and Engineering Solutions. Xylem, Let's Solve Water. The American Water Works Association, dedicated to the world's most important resource. Black & Veatch, Building a World of Difference. And Ziptility, Helping Utilities Capture More, Better, and Accurate Data from the Field. This is session 161. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to 2020 and to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thank you so much for joining me. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday and New Year's celebration. Do we have a terrific show for you today? George Hawkins is our guest and does he deliver the goods? George is so enthusiastic about the water industry and it was my privilege to sit down with him at the One Water Summit in Austin not too long ago. George's passion really comes through in this interview and we'll get to that in a moment, but it's a great one. You probably noticed at the uh, the the top of the show it was a little bit different today. Yes, the Water Values Podcast has sponsors for the 2020 calendar year. So thank you very much to our sponsors. And I'd like for you to do me a favor. If you work for or with any of the sponsors, thank your boss or thank your contact at that sponsor's firm and tell them that you appreciate their leadership in the industry through the sponsorship. If you're interviewing for a job with one of the sponsors, again, please thank them and let them know your appreciation for supporting this kind of thought leadership. Podcast metrics are really hard to deal with. And because it's hard to tell who's listening, unless you, the listener take action, I'd really appreciate it. If you let the sponsors know and thank them uh, for sponsoring the water values podcast. Again, those sponsors are Intera, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black and & Veatch, and Ziptility. And as long as you're letting the sponsors know you appreciate their support of water industry education and thought leadership, why not leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or whatever other podcast directory you access the podcast on. That would be greatly appreciated and will help others find out about the podcast. So please leave that rating and review. Much appreciated. Well, before we get to our feature interview with George Hawkins, it's a time for another session of Bluefield on Tap. So here's a quick hit on the action in digital water with Reese Tisdale of Bluefield Research. Take it away. Well, Reese, welcome to a new year of Bluefield on Tap. How you doing? I'm good, Dave. How about yourself? Doing? Yeah, that's right. 2020, first of the year. Uh, it's a big year for the Water Values Podcast. We've got sponsors now. Um, and it's also, from what I've been reading, going to be a big year in the digital water space. So can you talk a little about digital water and what, what kind of the, the current state of the market is? Yeah, so I think, you know, I, I guess I'll do my own plug here, or at least Bluefield's plug. We got a report coming out on the U.S. water market coming up pretty soon, which is, I guess, pretty timely. That's not why I wanted to talk about this. I think one of the things that was interesting We've been looking at, for those who don't know, we've been looking at venture capital, private equity investment into the water space, more specifically digital water. And I think there's an interesting trend that we see happening, which I don't know if it's not, maybe it's not all that surprising, but it is interesting to see um, in 2019, at least to date, so I guess that was running up into the fourth quarter, we're sort of rounding out numbers now, but 57% of 
or about $119 million was going to non-municipal water-related investments, which is interesting. We sort of broke out where these investments going, municipal or non-municipal. That's kind of a, I don't know if that's a good signal or bad at this point. I think what's interesting is that there's some indication that the municipal sector, the pace of change is not as fast as investors would like, for one. I think secondly, maybe the need is not as great as everybody anticipated in the near term. And that is, when you weigh that with how quickly things can be executed, new projects, technology adoption, that sort of raises a red flag. And so where are the dollars going? We've seen a fair amount of deals that are going to smart home water management. We've already seen that in the power sector with Nest Thermostats, Echobee, and other home-related systems, whether ring doorbells. So when you start tying that, and if you start adding water to that, it becomes maybe even a more compelling opportunity going forward. Interesting. You know, I gave a talk to the Association of Environmental Authorities in New Jersey a couple years ago. And one of the things that I said was, you know, look, utilities, you need to create the bond with your customer because if you don't, someone else will find a way to create that bond or go after that. And that kind of sounds a little about what what you're talking about here with, with homeowners or customers taking their water, um, you know, their, their water supply into their own hands. Yeah, I mean, a part of it, I, I think D.C. Water is a good example. I know everybody looks at them, but I think, you know, when you think about them, part of it is just education, and there are different ways to educate your customer. One, you can send them emails, you can send them, do direct mail education, you can set up YouTube videos that are ridiculous, um, but eye-catching or ear-catching. But I think the other way is making them understand what's the value of their, what's the cost of their water, what are they spending, and where, how is their water being used? And do they have a leak or not? Are their toilets blowing? Or they, do they have a leak? Do their appliances use too little, too little water, and so on and so forth? I agree with you completely. I think that's. I think it gets back to the broader story about water, municipal water infrastructure as a whole, and that is that it, it's out of sight, out of mind, right? I think I was speaking. It was surprising speaking to. Someone recently, a, a journalist, a high-profile journalist, and I'm not who will remain nameless, but I was talking to them, heavily involved in infrastructure and in the ongoings of, of, you know, infrastructure in the world today. And his comment to me was, "Oh, I just turn on the water. That's all I really think about. Nothing else." So I think that's uh, that's a little scary in the sense that you're already paying for it, but also. You do rely on it. When the lights don't work, the lights don't work. You obviously notice it. When the water, you know, whether you're getting high-quality water or not, you don't always see that. Yeah, I mean, you bring up an interesting point. First off, um, uh, that, that's a first, I think, in uh, in history where the interview subject keeps the journalist's name confidential, uh, doesn't reveal a source. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but second, I, I, I think you're on something here in terms of, um, uh, utilities needing to engage their customers more. I mean, one of the things I've been thinking of is not only just direct customer engagement, but indirect customer engagement. Uh, 
through like kids going into the high schools, going into the middle schools and elementary schools and, and developing programs where, you know, get them, get those kids on a field trip to the water treatment plant or the wastewater treatment plant. So those kids kind of understand from an early age what's going on and, and, you know, kind of keep, you know, keep, keep some of that, that education going along the lines. And then by the time they, those kids get, grow up and get to be real customers in their own right, they'll have a greater appreciation for what's going on. Um, I mean, any, yeah, go ahead. I, I agree with that. I mean, I think it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, just you know, spitballing ideas, if not, you know, taking them and back to DC water. I think they use part, some of their facilities for events. I think, I don't know if people, receptions, I don't know if people get married at the wastewater facility. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is they do use it. And I don't think they charge a lot for it. But part of that is, you know, letting the public know how it works, what happens. That these, these are not, you know, these, they're not uh, these terrible, awful places that are disgusting. In many places, they're fine. They're fine for events. Boston Waterworks Museum, it's up uh, just on the Brookline, Boston line. You know, they do events there as well, but it explains how the water system works. It explains the reservoir network, where Boston's water supply comes from, how it's evolved over time. Yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. So, but, I, but I think, you know, look, the technology in and of itself is enabling us to become more connected. We are connected. Our power, we're more connected to our uh, electricity supply through our phones. I mean, I've said it before, I can check the temperature of my house right now if I want. Um, and I can change it. Water supplies, understanding, you know, tracking that, whether it be water quality, there are more solutions out there that enable that, but also just water flows in and of itself. Cool. Well, I, I kind of got us off track. You want, we were, I initially asked about digital water, uh, and then I kind of got us on this customer education. Is there anything else that, that you, we, you think we need to, to cover regarding digital water at the, the outset of 2020? coming out and I don't I reluctant to lay out the, the top line numbers but we've looked at a couple different scenarios to say okay you know given the current rate of adoption what is that market going to look like over the you know th up to 2030 and we've broken out about across 20 segments and then we've done some scenarios like if there is really a liftoff talk about the levers that are going to I mean, it grows significantly in the latter half of the forecast period. And then there's also a failure to launch scenario. And that is, what if really things don't go as well as we all plan? And the reality of it is, is the sort of uh, our baseline or expected forecast is closer to, uh, a better way to put it, is more conservative uh, than a digital takeoff. I mean, I think everybody, investors, as I started out, think that, the market is going to boom, but the water sector, particularly the municipal, doesn't doesn't move as fast as everybody wants. So I think we just need to keep that in mind. Terrific. Well, a great synopsis and a look ahead to 2020 and digital water. Thanks so much for being here, Reese. We'll talk to you soon. All right, Dave. Sounds good. Happy Happy New Year and look forward to 2020. Yeah, Happy New Year. All right. Bye now. Well, Reese and his team continue to do a great job with the Bluefield on Tap segment. I really appreciate them coming on and sharing some of their insights into the water industry uh, once a month. Uh, now it's time for our feature interview with the one and only George Hawkins. So let's get the water flowing. Well, George, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. So glad you could be with us again. I, we are at the uh, One Water Summit in Austin. This is the first in-person interview I've done since leaving Colorado. So uh, thank you so much for, for taking time out of this busy conference schedule to be with us. 
How you been? I've been great and really delighted. Uh, I've listened to your show for years. We were just talking about how groundbreaking it was when you started so many years ago and doing uh, these podcasts. It's been a great resource uh, for the water field. So I just want to express my appreciation for what you're doing. And it's a delight for me to be on the program. So uh, thanks for having me. Oh, you bet. And uh, I I owe it to folks like you because you guys are the ones who, who, who really provide the value. All I do is lob questions. It's people like you that are sharing their expertise, and, and I, I couldn't uh, do this without time that people like you have invested in it, so I really appreciate it. Uh, it's been, what we were just talking about, almost two years since you left D.C. Water. What have you been up to? Gosh, that's a, a great question, and uh, many have asked over the years, why did I leave D.C. Water at all? And it's a good question. I love the people I work with. I still miss them whenever I see a D.C. Water uniform on the street. <laughs> It grabs my heart. Um, But I became, uh, I believe fervently, uh, that there are many communities in the country that uh, need the kinds of projects that D.C. Water did and and, and still does. And it's not because D.C. Water is better than anyone else. Uh, D.C. is a growing economically um, robust area. During my tenure at D.C. Water, every single month, a thousand more customers were moving into the into the customer field wow. every month, every wow, year, that's crazy. for every straight year, year after year after year. Um, and that, with that kind of economic growth and, uh, and sustainability, you're in a different place than a lot of other communities where they've lost population and have not. And with changes to the economy and moving of, of major industries to different, uh, not only different geographic locations, but different, different economic structures. And those communities are not adopting many of the strategies because they're so hard-pressed. They're, often they're oversized. They've lost population, so the systems mm-hmm. are bigger than they need, which is hard to operate when you have right. a system that's too big. And the question is how to help communities like that, good people, hardworking people who are just resource-constrained, for lack of a better phrase, adopt some of these strategies. Because my second fervent belief, A, a is there's the need, and the second is, is there's probably 20 to 30 Projects, if not more, that almost any utility can adopt that would save on existing operating and capital expenditures. So something that you're already spending $100 on because it's been the same $100 and doing the same thing for the last 30 years, there's now a new technique that if you could have the wherewithal to apply it would take that $100 price down to 80 and if you take a hundred dollar price down to eighty, you've got twenty percent rate increase without actually increasing any rates. You've got a twenty dollars of rate payer money that you now can invest in your system to do the next improvement. So the question has been on my mind: how to help these resource constrained communities, really good people working hard but hard pressed, to adopt strategies that can save on existing operating and capital expenditures while improving performance to try to get into a virtual virtuous cycle. Of performance and adoption, where right now it's like going down the drain. We're not investing enough. We're not building enough. The systems are getting in worse shape. Compliance problems, public health problems, and then at the the next round of problem occurs, more water main breaks. That gets worse over time. How to turn that around and make it into a positive frame? And I've been focusing on that with a company I call Moonshot Missions, and that's been my primary focus since I left DC Water. You're right, just about two years ago. Okay, terrific. So uh, tell us a little more about Moonshot Missions. So you, 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 it's got two arms, right. right? So let's talk about the arm that you're, 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 you just kind of described. Um, 
how do you find utilities to help, and who who are you kind of going after here? Sure, it's a great question. There's two moon. There's I run two little moonshot enterprises. One is for profit. And mm-hmm. mainly working with water technology firms, private equity firms, and I go out directly to water associations around the country and even around the world to talk about some of the strategies we employed at DC Water on change management and how to adopt innovations. Because even for a growing community, public agencies have challenges adopting these new techniques, and I actually think there's very practical operational steps you can take to improve your chances of improving, of adopting innovation. Moonshot Missions is a nonprofit organization, so 501c3 nonprofit, mm-hmm. and it's designed to help communities in need. So it is not for Washington, D.C. Moonshot Missions would not so – not that D.C. Water isn't a great enterprise, but D.C. Water is well-funded. It's got a lot of its own resources. That's not where Moonshot Missions is designed to help. Moonshot Missions is designed to help a community that may have lost a third of its population as its industry has moved away. Its rate base has cratered. Um, it's therefore struggling with compliance issues, and it's not because they aren't good people. Their revenue base has dropped. So you have right. an old system that needs more money and more investment, and at the same time, your rate base has been deplete, depleted. That's the places we want to help. Because I actually think these new techniques can help those places by taking existing costs and dropping them and giving some financial flexibility for a place that otherwise doesn't have it. And so at the moment, we've only doing a few communities for Moonshot Missions to sort of field test our process. We're trying to operationalize Assessing and optimizing the practices of a water utility on all fronts, drinking water, stormwater, wastewater. And what are the steps that we would employ? Make them replicable so they're easy to do again and again and again, low mm-hmm. cost. And we want to make sure we get it right. And so it's, it's, it's great words to say how to operationalize it and turn it into practical steps that are easy to implement so that these places can adopt strategies they understand. That's what we're doing, and it's actually been really exciting and really fun. Yeah, so what's the first step? How do you get involved? How does it, if a community wants to explore this, what do they, what do, they do? Sure. Um, well, we have a, a great little team. So mm-hmm. I do have some staff uh, at uh, Moonshot Missions. We are supported by a wonderful foundation called Springpoint Partners based out of um, Philadelphia. And um, what... Uh, what we do is and our, all of our emails are is moonshotmissions.org, and the, and the woman who's chief of our assessments and doing the assessment of whether we would help, her name is Sarah Niederer, but you just email her, Sarah at moonshotmissions.org. I'm George at moonshotmissions.org. It works the same way. Um, and what we do first is we do a profile of, the, of a potential community because mm-hmm. what we need to find first and foremost is that there is an economic need. Like I said, not that I don't think there isn't benefits that might benefit any community, but if you're growing and robust and you've got the skills and capabilities to do a lot of this already, it's the places that are struggling and just holding on. And that comes apparent pretty quickly. You do, a, you do some economic research, some community condition research and find out unemployment rates. You find median income levels. You find how much industry has changed and the trends in, in, in industry. And the, you can see the places that are these rust belt cities that have lost 30 percent of their population and 50 percent of their um, commercial base. And they're struggling. That would be a prime target for us of a place we'd like to help. 
Then we do a further profile of we do compliance checks with agencies. We do just regular Google checks on media. We check websites. So we have a good sense of the place Mm -hmm. before we ever walk in the door. Because then what we want to engage is in a thoughtful conversation with the utility on what are some of the issues that they would like. Because almost every utility we visited, oh, we'd love to do more. This isn't because we're not interested. (laughs) We're just barely holding on. Yeah. Um, so what are the but what are those things? What are the big issues that are facing you? What are the challenges that you have in front of you that you're that are most dramatic for you? So that's a, one half of the conversation is what are your needs, and the other half of the conversation is that we're creating things called moonshot modules, and a module is a replicable play sheet. I think in terms of sports, <laughs> if you wanted to adopt the West Coast offense, that's you know basically what that means. But you have to operationalize it. How is the offensive line going to block? What's the tight end going to do? How far? Who, what's the practice scheme so that when your players playing on the field, they're ready to play that kind of offense? So we're trying to take a project and create a play sheet. What mm-hmm. are the various steps that your agency would have to undertake in order to adopt this strategy? And the strategy is designed to save operating and capital funds from what you're already spending. So then we have a well, then we have like a matching. What issues do you need? What modules do we have? And if we have a magical match of we have a module for optimization of your primary tanks, that's a problem and an issue that you've got, bang, then we yeah. have a connect and we can stand at your side. This is sort of the classic, we're not trying to fish for someone. And I, my experience in the water world is that people don't want to be fished for. These people in the water world want to learn and do things for themselves. It's right. going to be theirs. So we want to help you learn to fish on something new and then you're going to fish. You're going to take it on. But we're going to make all the steps that lead up to a project being done faster, cheaper, and we've essentially done the homework. We will have evaluated, have a good sense of what the products are. We can help you write an RFP. We can have a draft RFP ready to go. So rather than doing all that yourself, we will get you to the starting gate. Then what kind of training will you need? All those operational steps, still going to have to do the work. But we're going to simplify and drop all of that those obstacles that might stop you if you're resource-constrained. And we're going to do that to you, for you, by the way, without charge. So we're coming in not expecting to be paid to do this work. We're doing it for the good of the order. Mm-hmm. And our goal is that a year, uh, in a foreseeable time frame, you've adopted a strategy that took something that cost $100, and now the new strategy is $80, and you now have $20 to invest in your system. Maybe you take five and return it to your ratepayers. Imagine that. You go to your mayor and say, by the way, that rate increase we thought we needed, we don't need it anymore because we just saved money on our operations. That is that it, that means the rate increase is not needed. I know I'm going on in great length on this. It's one of my fervent beliefs that the numbers that we hear mm-hmm. about, oh, it's a trillion dollars needed for the uh, improvements to water infrastructure – are wrong because almost all of them are premised on how money is used to be spent. And I feel this way about D.C. Water. I, I wish there are things that I could have done at D.C. Water better. So we raised a lot of money to replace water mains. And we would have a tendency that if the water main on 18th Street needed to be replaced, we'd replace the whole main. Um, and those are incredibly expensive projects. And the water main is the cheapest part of it. 
you digging up a city street in a crowded city and you've got traffic control and planning and levels of permits and reviews and then you dig up the street and you put in the pipe that well wait then you've got to re resurface resurface the street two or three times curb to curb often 50 yards. i mean the, then what if it's a water main so you have to do the lines into the house and you've now got sidewalks and, and cobblestones and oh my gosh the expense <laughs> that's associated with that project the pipe is the cheap part so, it, But the new technique of doing a condition assessment of that pipe and finding there's only three places that are actually at risk of breaking and the rest can be clean and lined. So you do a – it's like a surgical incision on those places where you do piecemeal replacements and the rest you clean and line. You can save 75% of that pro- cost and get the same outcome if you adopt the new strategy. So that's my notion that the trillion dollars is, to me, likely to be a fraction of that number if the new approaches are adopted. And in some respects, that is the way out for utilities. And my last comment, by the way, um, I know I keep talking. No no Um, problem. Is that a lot of communities that we've talked to are also, it's just, it's like a, what's the right word? Community depression. And we've lost some of some of our core businesses we identified with those places and we don't mm-hmm. have as many jobs we have a lot of young people coming out of schools that are moving away looking for work to be done these new techniques go into a high school and start a training program for what would it take we're going to have some diagnostic tools in our pipes we're going to have sensors and we're going to have data coming in well that's the kind of thing that keep someone around and uh, a really interesting training and schooling that you can take in high school or at a college level and then go back to the water utility and be part of something that's really cool and interesting for your own community, that it's a chance for a community to sort of be proud of itself. We're going to adopt something that's cutting edge, that's using these new techniques. This is what this is how what community doesn't want to be the smart community. This is a, this is a chance to do it on a topic where they're already spending money. Right. And if they can save money and therefore that's how uh, financing can happen. Yeah, so I think you've hit on a couple of things. Um, when, when we first kind of communicated about getting you back on the program, uh, you, you'd indicated that you, you thought that the estimates for infrastructure spend are too high. And I thought, I, I thought when you initially said that, that you were going down the AI machine learning curve. And I think you, I think you were touching on that right. with sensors and things of that nature. Uh, but uh, before we, we, we get down that, that road, I want to go back and talk about uh, Moonshot Missions a little more. Sure. And um, do you – because you, you say you have these modules. There's a number of them. You'll, you'll essentially put together a plan for the utility so that the utility isn't out there alone. Right. Uh, is there is there uh, some low-hanging fruit that you have – commonly identified uh, that utilities need to do better? Yes, absolutely. I mean, what's interesting is that we haven't done many of these yet. We are walking before we we crawl, or crawling before we walk and walk before we run. So our first six months was spent really creating some modules. What would the profile look like? Standardizing our – actually digging in. So we want to operationalize this and make sure we know what we're doing each step of the way. And that's taken uh, a significant amount of research and background. Now we're actually in the field working with utilities. And um, we are absolutely finding that there are probably a half a dozen as opposed to 50. Non-revenue water is the word is often 
the most obvious place to start in most places. Mm-hmm. Um, wealthy communities are adopting all sorts of assessments of, of non-revenue water, uh, and it costs money to start. But uh, non-revenue water is, is water that you – in a water-scarce area, it's even crazier. But yeah. even in a non-water-scarce area, you pump it out of your water source. You treat it to a certain level at a great expense. You pump it again through your distribution system. It leaks out into the system without getting to a customer and therefore isn't – all of those costs, when you add them all up, are sort of mind-boggling. Yeah. And in some communities, that water leaks out of the pipe and is pumped again. Because it needs to be dewatered from the town. You don't want to have uh, water table issues or otherwise. <laughs> Turns into I and I. I and I. So you're, you're just the, the – it's staggering when someone actually calculates how much money is spent on water that is getting nowhere. Or on the other end, there's some non-revenue water that's getting to a customer that isn't being charged for. And – all of those are reasonable uh, on the grand scheme of things. That is not building giant underground tunnels, ten story underground with a huge tunnel boring machine. Right. This is analytical work that is relatively inexpensive to identify, and it's money you're already spending. And it's the just the pumping itself. Carry a gallon of water around. It's so heavy. You just pumped. What's your non revenue water? Thirty five percent. That means thirty five out of a hundred gallons that your pump. At cash money is pumping into the system is going into the ground, and you've paid the, the power company doesn't care whether that water gets to a customer or not. They're going to charge you for every gallon that goes by their meter. That's and right. So you can reduce thirty five percent to ten percent, which won't happen overnight. But every percentage point that you have of less non revenue water, you're saving on your opex side. Um, and uh, my gosh, in a water-scarce world for so much, it's just wonderful um, yeah. on all yeah. other fronts. Um, and and I, I know you're being, um, just for purposes of the interview, you're being very, uh, uh, in terms of talking about non-revenue water and percentages, I know that we're trying to get away from the percentage talk, right? We're trying to get right to gallons per connection or liters, you know, something like But it's just, it's it's a very difficult thing, I think, to get across to those of us in the industry, because we've, many of us have, have used percentages for far too long, right. and it's just hard to get away from that when we're really trying to make the pivot to uh, a more meaningful number, because, because when you dig down into real losses and apparent losses, right. and you know, for anyone who's familiar with the, the non-revenue water auditing uh, knows that. So I, right. I just want to make sure that that the listener knows that we, we know what we're, we're talking about. We're not, we're not advocating the percentage we're, right. we're talking about. And you're exactly right about that. Um, and a lot of this is apparent loss. Yeah. In fact, the water isn't leaking out into the ground. It's getting to a customer where there's an old meter that's running slow. Right. Um, or there's no meter at all. Um, and, or a variety of, of – and you're like, well, that's something that can be found as well. There are there, – the tools exist in the marketplace – and they've really come to the forefront in the last five years. So yeah. it's not that there hasn't been tools around, but it really has changed. And if there's a tool that can find meters that are running slow, and you just start replacing those. I'm not going on a quadrillion, million dollar. No, I'm just going to replace the meters that I know are undercharging for water that's getting to the customer. Yeah, um, You'll earn more money than the cost of the meter. So it'll pay for itself. Oh, yeah. And then you're charging the customer properly. And by the way, this is an interesting, at least from what I've learned of the apparent water loss issue, is that most of the time it's bigger meters that are running slow. Bigger meters are commercial. 
And I love commercial clients. So this is not a criticism of commercial. But if com- big commercial meters are running slow and therefore not charging as much, you're cross-subsidizing the cost of that water by the folks who are paying, which is the residential customers. And how crazy it is that residential customers, many of whom are low income, would be paying and cross-subsidizing big commercial accounts because those big commercial meters are running slow. You're absolutely right. And there's no reason why we can't – well, there is a reason. So so what I hear from a utility is that sounds great. I I just – the number of steps I would have to go through – to get to the point of doing a thoughtful non-revenue water analysis, apparent real losses, losses we want, all that kind of. Mm-hmm. First, I have to assess where I am. I'm going to have to prepare some sort of audit. Then I'm going to have to figure out what the who are out there and then write uh, some sort of RFP. Then I'll get the proposals back and evaluate all of those various companies and select one. And then there's the actual contract itself all of those things are on top of the work I'm already doing. Yeah. And yeah. I'm barely holding on with the work I'm already doing. <laughs> and um, that's the challenge. But that's exactly where Moonshot Missions wants to fit in. Yeah. All of those pieces. We're not going to do the audit for you. But all those steps that will get you to the point where you're ready to go, mm-hmm. that's what we want to help you with. Yeah. And I've been around clients that have done a large meter change out program. ROI, they, they start – the, the the program pays for itself within less than a year. It's been like nine, a nine month payback. It's incredible. It's, it's incredible. So incredible. you you will make money. So that's yep. that's that's a one great example of low hanging fruit. Are there any others? Um, well, this primary tank optimization is a fascinating one. Um, and one of my great allies in this effort with Moonshot Missions uh, runs a facility in a community that has shrunk significantly from its industrial heyday, which mm-hmm. was maybe forty years ago. And that's a common. Uh, pattern that you see in a lot of the industrial uh, the rust belt so you have a treatment plant that is oversized to what is needed and primary treatment which is essentially gravity so you have certain amount in primary that's sinking to the bottom of the tank and some that's floating to the top it's scooped off the top and it comes out the bottom very little power or effort is there it's just sitting in the tank with the thing motioning around well here's a fascinating story so they had 10 primary tanks, but because of the shrinkage in their customer base, only needed six. Mm. So they're only running six. Um, it turns out, though, that running six meant you only got to a certain level of removal in this low-cost primary tank way of gravity. Right. Um, and then you go to secondary where removal is more expensive, and it's aerated, and there's power, and, and it was a pure oxygen secondary plant. And what this very ingenious, he worked his way up through the process in the plant was, what if I brought all 10 primary tank cells online, which I don't need in the classic capacity sense, but if I have more capacity than I need, the flow can sit in the primary tank longer mm-hmm. because I don't have to have immediate throughput. If it can sit in there longer, more will set out, settle out by gravity, both directions. And if more settles out by gravity, A, it's cheaper. I'm not using the chemicals and the energy. Secondary becomes more of a finishing operation. It's more efficient. It's because there's not as much. Um, and what he found is by primary tank optimization, he saved on energy and chemical costs in secondary and improved the environmental performance of the system as a whole because secondary worked more efficiently when it had less work to do. 
It was more yeah. finishing. So that was a project that saved money and improved environmental performance. Not only that, and this part was the kicker, is that the biosolids, the sludge that's being being removed at the bottom of the settling tanks, had less dewatering necessary than the sludge that was coming off really? secondary. So they saved on the, the biosolids side of the project. So it had just had all these benefits and the so and and there are lots of communities that it, well here was the last not the last but the other benefit was well the only downside of bringing all 10 primary tanks online at the same time is that now we don't have a backup <laughs> when we had six we had four so we had to have cleaned or whatever we would always just turn one of the other ones on and turn one of the ones we needed to repair off if all 10 are operating we have got to have a preventative maintenance program to keep them all operating. So they didn't come to the notion of let's change to preventative maintenance with some big, huge program of changing all maintenance. No, it was a preventative maintenance program that was started to make sure all 10 primary tanks could keep operating at the same time. But it's how the team learned about preventative maintenance without even really knowing that what this, the seismic change that was happening from fix upon when a fix after run to failure and then fix right to right. no 10 we're gonna have to have a system in place to know to keep these things constantly running and and actually if you in talking to him that may have been one of the most important improvements that came yes it was cash money yes it was environmental performance but it started changing the mindset of the team of oh my gosh look what we can do and preventative maintenance works and we have saved money and it was a, a, such a feel-good project. It did all the things we would hope. Right. And that's another one. Primary tank optimization is relevant to thousands of plants out there. Yeah. And we want to bring it to them. Well, and, and, and hopefully they also see – when they see the value of that preventive maintenance, they realize that deferring maintenance – is even it, it just gets you in a bad situation. Absolutely. So that preventive maintenance just it pays was, dividends. In his place, it was the foot in the door to shifting over to preventative maintenance for everything. Yeah. But it didn't start as a big, huge preventative maintenance program. It started as we're doing something cool to save money and improve performance, which requires preventative maintenance. And then look what we've learned and expanding from there. And I always yeah. think that changing – we talked a little bit about changing an enterprise. <laughs> start with something where you have a win. Yeah. Start with something that is understandable and, and, and plays to the strengths of the enterprise and move from there as opposed to I'm going to bring in a huge, complicated preventative maintenance program and plunk it on top of an existing system. And everything's got to change over to the new way. That's hard sledding. Um, you start it in a, in a way that people see how cool it is and advantage and they feel part of it and they're sort of proud of what they're doing now. Right. And you have a little ceremony. You save money. You've done this project. The mayor's happy. <laughs> oh, angels are yeah. singing. Yeah, exactly. Then grow from there. And uh, th- that's when really it's, it's amazing what's possible. That's awesome. Well, um, Moonshot Missions is doing a terrific job. I, I, I'm so happy that you were able to come and sit down with us and talk uh, about those types of things. We are at the One Water Summit. And I think I think I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you uh, what does what you know what does One Water mean to you? Why 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 is, are you here? Sure, I, uh, I'm, uh, and I have to. Uh Make sure everyone knows I am on the board of the U.S. Water Alliance. So um, I, that's not why I'm here, though. I'm on the board because I'm here. I w- wanted right. to be here first and have ended up over the years participating on the board. One Water initially made, meant to me something narrower than it does today. Initially, it was the relationship between drinking water 
stormwater and what we at DC Water would call enriched water, because <laughs> we could turn it into resources. Yeah. Another great replicable project is how to take waste and turn it into revenue. But um, and that was the first one water. This is all a system, and thinking of it as a system, you start finding efficiencies and all sorts of ways that you can benefit in that structure. But I think one water to the U.S. Water Alliance, and why I've enjoyed being part of this uh, for many years now, is one water is connected to so many other things. A lot of water conferences, and I love them, I go to them all the time, but we're talking to ourselves. But we know that water is fundamental to every kind of agriculture, not some, every kind of agriculture, every kind of product. And there's so many communities and in, in so much recreation, so much of the economy, and One Water is connecting what we do inside in the apparatus of its delivery and its, all the sort of work we do, but how it radiates out into Mm -hmm. all these other incredible sectors that also we rely on for our daily livelihoods, for the jobs that we have, for the the health and welfare of our communities. And One Water means to me making those connections because every time we make a connection with a business or a person in a way that's not – they're not one of us. One of us meaning don't work at a water utility or in the water field. But they're part of us because, of course, they're mostly – their water is fundamental to their lives. We make that connection to them. We've just gained a friend and ally in the field, friends and allies who can help us learn about how they look at our – help us with equity issues in communities in need and are feeling like they've been left behind or economic growth and how by doing better on water conservation. So we saved water by adopting a moonshot missions module. Well, that water is going to be used in a facility that needs it in a community that otherwise was water scarce. Water is going to be a determining feature on job growth, on community health. And that means reaching outside of our field. And to me, that's, the, that's what this conference does probably better than any other. It's reaching all sorts of people here. You've seen them in the whole, oh, yeah. from all, yeah. all sorts of walks of life, which is great. <laughs> and then having wa- one water is connecting this water issue into their lives, not just into how we do ours and how much we learn from them and how much they can learn from us. But in, a, in this in this relationships that we're building. And to me, that's, that is the, not only the future, that's now. We're doing that now, and it's really exciting. Yeah, that's a great perspective. That's a great perspective. So uh, you've been very generous with the time. Thank you so much. It's terrific uh, that, that you agreed to, to sit down and break away from the conference for a little bit with it's me. It's been my pleasure, and uh, I hope you keep at this. I mean, yeah. this is, as I said, and I'll say it again, it's a resource. Uh, all the notion of you have modules, you have uh, just like Moonshot does. You have modules in your podcasts of the stories, descriptions, approaches, leadership styles that others can learn from, and that is just uh, that's it's on the side of angels, and it's great. Uh, I'm glad to be part of it. Well, well thank you so much. Uh, where can people go to find out more about you and Moonshot Missions? Sure. Uh, moonshotmissions.org. It's pretty rudimentary at the moment because we haven't been spending any time on sort of uh, uh, on the social media, but we will grow a website. Uh, in fact, we're working on it now. Um, so moonshotmissions.org. Keep an eye. Uh, we'd love to have you help us, too. We are, we, a lot of folks have volunteered their time to help with modules for the good of the order and for places that need it. So come see us. We'd love to talk. Terrific. Well, thanks again, George. Appreciate okay. your time. Glad to be with you. What a terrific interview George gives. It's always a pleasure to have the opportunity to speak with him. Thank you, George, for all the time and effort you put into making the water industry a better place. 
Well, what did you like about the interview? Please let me know by leaving a comment on the show notes. You can access those at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 161. You can also tweet about the podcast using the hashtag watervalues and tweet at me using my handle at DTM1993. You can email me at david at thewatervalues.com and can sign up for the Water Values newsletter at thewatervalues.com. Thank you again for tuning in and a huge thank you to our sponsors. Again, those market-leading companies and organizations that sponsor the podcast are Interra, Xylem, the American Waterworks Association, Black & Veatch, and Ziptility. Thank you so, so much. Well, in closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values Podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. listening to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.